Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. Guys, it's a bad plan. Mate. It's a bad plan. Hey! Hey! Is that a path? No, Dom. Southwest is this way, mate. Southwest can go fuck itself. You said we were getting out of this forest yesterday. The storm slowed us down. What do you want me to do? Oh, so did the dead thing hanging in the trees in the spooky fucking house. All right, listeners, welcome back to 31 for 31, a Halloween-themed podcast to keep you in the mood all month long, keeping this playlist going. We just came out of the witch, out but we are woods. not yet out of the woods. I was getting there, Cody. I was getting there. I'm Chris Boniel, along with the guy who just ruined that. The woodsman himself, Cody Mason. And I'm Jamie Lansdowne. <laughs> Who's innocent in all of this. <laughs> I'm, I, keep me out of it. Along with us, we are joined by a special guest, Nick Payne Santos, who is a writer, director, and producer. His feature debut it cuts deep is currently on showtime and shutter and he's the producer of uncle peckerhead if you haven't seen that go check it out on amazon prime videos what up nick how you doing what are you what are you currently up to out there in the woods with uh, strange internet yes i'm on, in prep on a horror film in the middle of the woods in massachusetts in a haunted mansion where i'm being forced to sleep to save money <laughs> nice nice Yotin. man yeah and speaking of Yotin. Today's movie is The Ritual, a 2017 British horror film that was directed by David Bruckner, and it follows a group of uh, some some friends. I guess, you know, they were friends. They kind of aren't friends. A few in and outs of, of friendships. Four and friends, they, much like this call. <laughs> yeah. And they are, are safe. They are going on a hike through Sweden in the woods and the mountains to deal with the loss of one of their friends from college. And they come across some horrific beings, creatures, monsters, things that are out there possibly hunting them for multiple reasons. Your, your, your tone is so jolly while you're talking about this, Chris. Yeah, you're it's smiling really while like, you're saying hey, maybe they Hey, maybe they get pinned to a tree. They're eviscerated. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say, coming into this, I was the only one out of the four of us who hadn't seen the ritual. Yeah, we and kept typing it. And I think you guys, uh, this is, this you guys is the kept big typing moment it. where we're going to hear your thoughts. And 
Yeah, I freaking loved it. All right. Yes. 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 The ritual is us grilling you on liking it or not. It was was a ton of fun. I was like smiling and then terrified and doing the like half look away, half like, oh, should I I get up and like get something from the kitchen right now? Maybe I'll just like walk away for a minute. We spooked Chris. (laughs) Yeah, we spooked him. Very effective horror film. Well, I think, uh, yeah, it's also got... A great featured performance by quote unquote leading man, Rafe Spall, who uh, I just need to public service announcement. Like if if anybody doesn't know Timothy Spall's theater work, like this guy's Timothy Spall's son. And that's bananas. He's Peter Pettigrew. (laughs) This guy is a handsome man. You know, he was in Shaun of the Dead as like a teenager once and he was kind of moopy, but he's come full, you know. He's attractive enough to be the businessman in a Jurassic Park movie. That's like a big get, you know. If you whoa, wait, I just realized he was in Shaun of the Dead. Now I totally remember. He's the first Dead, uh, you've got yeah. red on you. He glowed up, and he's the oh, uh, guy next to Patty Considine when they say you've got a mustache. I know in Hot Fuzz, which he's like the other, uh uh-huh, yeah, delinquent. Uh, <laughs> you know. So I'm a, I'm a connoisseur of him sitting in rooms with simon Pegg films so that's all i got but i'm a smaller he does does have a pretty bad carnosaurus carnotaurus i should know this uh death scene in jurassic park fallen kingdom jurassic world (laughs) uh sorry universal they're taking that out of my my pay um but yeah he's he does a very good job he's got a very empathetic face you know he didn't inherit that from his father sorry tim (laughs) and he's He's got a real good guilt face. He's got a real good fear face. <laughs> Every he sells this whole movie, in my opinion, just by the weight he carries. It comes from the Ethan Hawke sweaty yelling school of acting, in my opinion, which I am all for. Yeah, it's a ham. It's kind of a ham face, but it's like lean, thin cut ham. You know, like yeah. it's not too sweaty. So, is this a movie that you guys are just constantly telling friends to watch? I think it's just a, a very accessible Netflix horror movie. I think I've spoken about how those have kind of waxed and wanes at what they've kind of targeted for their acquisitions. So they used to kind of be like in the Swanberg Bowen kind of yeah, house the devil camp in the past. And now I think there's a lot of clutter in Netflix horror. And I think this is one that's had a very good license for a long time. And it's just a very good swing of a meat and potatoes scary movie. Like this does not defy too much convention, but it puts a lot of fun little twists in how it does pretty, you know, conventional scenes. And I've got some, got some takes for why I think this is more elevated than, you know, just a, an answer to Blair Witch or some other reductive things yeah. that it's been called. I was getting annoyed looking at reviews today after watching it, how much it compared to Blair Witch, and it made no sense to me. But Nick, you you did tell me that you were Chris. They're in they're, they're in the woods. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I really, I love this movie. They carve some. Stuff. I made a comment earlier that this is closer to God of War than Blair of Witch. <laughs> uh, this was my third time watching it. It still held up. I I have to say it wasn't as scary this third watch. I could see that, but I still thoroughly enjoyed it throughout the whole movie. And this was this was a direct to Netflix release, right? Pretty much. That was I was the thing I was actually going to ask Cody and Nick when you first saw it, because I remember this was just it felt like it was unceremoniously dumped on the Netflix. Yeah. Like, I think it had a very limited release in theaters in the in the UK. 
But in terms, I don't think it ever had a theatrical release in the States. And I think it was a festival movie for a little bit. Too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it got sold mm. to Toronto, mm-hmm. um, but it had like a million, million plus run, which was just basically like, we're going to be a Netflix movie now, which honestly for a movie of this caliber is a steal for Netflix. I just mm-hmm. feel like they don't make acquisitions like this very often that now if you put a little bit more heft and maybe had like a little bit higher of a name in this one and you edited it a little bit differently and you marketed it the right way, this would be an A24 movie now. Yeah, a little more dread. But I loved, I really loved the element once we got more into the woods scenes of the hallucinations and nightmare. And that the first time that that happened to me took it beyond where I thought it was going. And I was like, oh, okay, we're... We're breaking the rules a little bit. He walked outside. He's yeah. back in the liquor store. Oof. Oh, yeah. This, is, this, <laughs> this isn't the, the movie I thought Saint it was going to be. Saint your daddy's witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. I said the liquor store The liquor store stuff is really what elevates this movie way beyond what I expected when I clicked it on Netflix at midnight. Yeah. And just to contextualize a little bit, this guy is the guilt we reference. If you haven't seen it, it's just him. Go watch it. I had to. (laughs) Well, yelled at you for a year, Chris. Give him time. Uh, You know, he friends out on the town, go to a liquor store. He's got, you know, the opportunity to save his friend in a mugging. His friend will give up the wedding ring, which is a trope that usually doesn't work well. But in this is convincingly done because it's so much confusion. And basically Rafe, our buddy Rafe, you know, we're on first name basis, holds himself accountable because he doesn't stand up and actually like intervene and stays behind the wall as his friend dies. So that guilt is, you know, there's no, they're not playing around. They're saying like, this is a guilt movie. Like, you know, this isn't like a surprise theme. You know, they're, they're going on this trip because the friend wanted to go on this trip before he died. You know, so when we see him go back into that space and go through a portal in his dream back into the liquor store, it's like, this is the best way you can do a very yeah. meat and potatoes guilt horror movie yeah. to artistic effect, in my opinion. Jamie, would you have tried to stop the robbery and how? Oh, uh, John geez. Wick, baby. I, I mean, I would say... I have Jamie to, would have done a reverse back kick and just <laughs> fucking splattered him in. I would say that I would like to think in this you know horrible situation that I would try and do something, but I would probably end up getting killed, so... I wouldn't I wouldn't suffer from guilt, but I would be dead. Yeah, I don't think that there was a scenario where they lived. <laughs> Nick, Nick, do you have a quick way out? Um, I would have probably just cowered there like he fucking does in the movie. I, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I want to <laughs> I want to be John Wick, but I'm, but I'm no Keanu Reeves. And I'm just going to I'm probably just going to sit there. I want to think that I would have just th- like slid my phone and wallet across the table and been like, cut <laughs> off your ring. But ultimately, like, I think one of the things the movie doesn't do, and I think it's fine, be- but maybe it's expressed subtly and I just haven't really picked up on it. It's like really called to attention that like one of the things to reckon with here is like this person probably would have died either way. And it was just protecting whether or not you want to die to withhold your honor and friendship with this person or something like this guy's a crazy junkie with a with a machete and he kills him pretty unnecessarily yeah. anyway like i think there's a lot of very pointed guilt on rafe from the rest of his friends about non-intervention it's like there should have been you know in my it kind fifth of friend version somebody could have been end. like it didn't matter anyway you know but yeah it, it's to better effect. there's a little bit of that in the very very end but yeah it doesn't it doesn't ever come up there's no realistic look back on that moment of being like because 
when I was watching it, I was like, ooh, I would like try to splinter cell this situation and I would like <laughs> throw I would throw a bottle down the other aisle and have it break and watch them <laughs> turn their heads and then try to run. They to would have exclamation or, points above their yeah. head and then you would go into a crate and crawl up on them. But Very what, good. when I looked back on it, I don't think I would have been fast enough to even get behind the the aisle of liquor bottles i would have just still been also standing he was immediately like on a on a dime which (laughs) is i am out i am out and i think that's kind of why he feels the guilt and i think you know the 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 junkie has a machete he doesn't have a gun so there's like a little wiggle room gray area of maybe he could have helped in some way i honestly think they probably both would have just gotten killed i think it does it well if like how quick he just he just kind of accidentally hides and then is just already there yeah like yeah. i don't think i would have gotten solid. there <laughs> i think the whole thing kind of mirrors the jeremy davies arc in like saving private ryan where you've got like him watching adam goldberg's character get stabbed and then it's like all a matter of him dealing with guilt and you know i guess some audience judgment of him more morally mm-hmm. until he gets to like stand up and fight back at the end mm. and be brave about something. But um, I like the fact that he never saves anyone. I think that the fact that he saves himself keeps the movie thematically intact because if he had just like saved his friends, it would have been such a neat movie and him still dealing with survivor's guilt, but dealing with it in a new, more active tense way at the end of this movie. I don't know. That's what sells it for me, just because they could have they could have taken about 14 different cowards ways out, pun intended, to make his his little arc just common. And I think it's it ends up a little bit more complex because they just like let him never really redeem anything to anyone other than himself. Yeah. Not to mention, he's going to have to come up with some sort of excuse about where his friends went. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you, but your friends go out with you, they drop like flies. <laughs> now that we jump to the end, though, I would like to point out my biggest issue with the movie go for it and it's really kind of only on like the repeat viewings is that he so quickly gets out of the forest at the very end and it was like why is that village at the edge of the forest like that like where he he runs like yeah well yeah. i think we should contextualize that by even saying what the monster is yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, we gotta, ahead, we're getting ahead of ourselves but it's true that is a fair point it's a very hey and then he made it out you know, but uh, they they wanted to keep this a tight ninety, I guess. But yeah, he, he does quickly find that opening when earlier we see from a cliffside that those lights are pretty far down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the rest of this movie can be summarized pretty well as just a descent into the woods and getting you know not lost, but just kind of like deeper and deeper into this like sense that there is some force that's driving them pretty much insane with guilt or with visions or, you know, getting out of their mind. There's a lot of like wicker, wicker men, if you will, and a lot of carvings and sigils yeah. and, and statues that implies this kind of like druidistic ritualistic stuff. And they kind of wise up to the fact that there's something picking them up that's planning on picking them off. And then it eventually does. So that's like the thing that propels them to be like, okay, we should, we should get out of here. Oh my God, we really need to get out of here. Oh, the guy from Downton Abbey just got stabbed into a tree. We got to pick up the pace a little bit. So I think that that works uh, pretty well in mostly broad daylight, too. So I think that's a yeah, it's a creepy woods. Do you guys from just seeing this 
and now looking back on it, do you think that this will be held in higher esteem once Moose Jaws comes out? Honestly, I, I have to think about my entire life as the before and after of Moose Jaws, <laughs> honestly. Like, we're going to well, recontextualize so much. What is Moose Jaws? I feel Wait, like what? this is the plot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the unmade Kevin Smith movie that is uh, Jaws with a moose. It's mm. the Jodorowsky's Dune of Kevin Smith, <laughs> Askew Views, or whatever he calls it. Yeah, Jamie and I do have a very big soft spot for Wendigo mythology. We think that's a cool, underutilized monster. It's in like a couple of good video games, but it's coming out. There are a couple of movies called Wendigo that are direct to DVD, but it's a cool. If you just Google that, any Deviant Art account will be like, "Oh, damn, that's a cool rendering of mm, a creepy yeah. looking monster." and Finally, there's a Carrie Russell movie coming out. Is it the Out of the Furthest guy who made it? It's called Antlers. Antlers, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, Scott Cooper's making it. Um, but that's, you know, adjacent to this giant Jotun that's chasing them. But it is one of the most unique monsters I've ever seen. It's, yeah. it's basically a Wendigo, but instead of a face that's a skull, it is a series of torso convulsions with a with eyes in the middle. <laughs> so it really has to be seen to be described. It's just pretty bonkers. Wait, can I go? Can I go back real quick? I thought you were about to say you had a soft spot for yoga hosers when we were on the. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I mean, there, no, that's a hard spot because I take a hard stand in my support for yoga hosers, of course, of course. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I big fan of Wendigo movies too. Um, and Glass Eye Picks are some. Larry Fessenden is someone who is obsessed with the Wendigo myth. And, oh, I love that guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, he gets killed by one pretty well in that video game, at that Until Dawn video game. He's. Uh, <laughs> He had to insert himself, and he's like, "You guys doing a Wendigo thing?" He made a Wendigo me. film. Yeah, he made <laughs> yeah. Wendigo. It's a pretty decent film. And and jumping jumping back now to earlier, you know, post post robbery, we're now hiking. We're in the woods. Things are starting to go a little awry because that one guy's leg is hurt. I'm trying to remember their names. Leg hurt guy. You remember leg There's hurt guy? Phil, Phil, Dom, Hutch, Luke, and Rob. Or Dom, I think is. So did did everyone else want to? Everyone else want to punch that guy? That guy said, but I, I mean, also found him very relatable. I I did want to punch him, but then also as like someone who's now just like bought a house and becoming a person in life, I was like, uh, you know, he, from from what everyone else is saying, like he's got a wife and kids. Like I mean, he's yeah, good. he he's was doing okay. He was, you know, honestly, Casually my normal. audience surrogate character of being like, <laughs> if somebody of your four group of friends would twist their ankle <laughs> and talk about their wife named Gail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's me. Uh, For so. context, Nick, Cody's wife's name is Gail. <laughs> <laughs> Spelled differently, so I'm saying. But right. even the even the friends in the film are kind of picking on him. They're like, ah, oh, you know, he's he's just complaining about his knee again, or like, you know, I don't know if he needed glasses. He's the Nick Frost. <laughs> he needed glasses. He definitely sure. needed glasses to be the punching bag. And I felt I did feel bad for him. Yeah. A hoof never steps on a pair of glasses when he's fumbling for it. So yeah. that's uh, he, left on the cutting room floor. He didn't uh, Newman his glasses. I guess his name's not Newman in Jurassic Park. No, it's Newman in yeah. Jurassic Park. It's Newman, actually. <laughs> Isn't it? Nedry for the, the hardcore it's Nedry. Yeah. yeah. Every one of his 90s credits I, is Newman. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Nick, I know you recently went on a, a hike that featured some incredibly heavy downpour and rains and not fun situations. If you were going back into that same hike, 
Would you have stopped at a random house surrounded by Norse runes? Yeah, I actually would. I was actually. It's funny that you brought it up because I, yeah, I was actually thinking that when I was rewatching this, because basically I went hiking. We had camp. I we had to hike two miles to the campsite, and then we went on a long hike, and it started downpouring. Um, and eventually the campsite got washed out, and we decided we had to hike out and leave. But then midway on the hike back, we found out that like the trail we came up was also just a river when it rains. So then we're hiking in, at night in torrential downpour through a river and if i saw a spooky ass house i would have been like we just should stop there guys like i got some whiskey let's just chill <laughs> honestly at this point anytime i see something spooky i'm like either i die or i get source material you know yeah exactly. <laughs> who, who cares well i have to ask nick is there you're in a spooky house right now did you check in the attic for a wooden i have idol, not a creepy wooden statue that you may wake up to naked Tomorrow or morning, hundreds, hundreds years old, decaying people yeah, still alive. You, you, yeah. you tie that sleeping bag tight tonight. I'm a little worried about <laughs> you. I'm, I'm feeling okay. But. A, a broad question I wanted to ask for everyone is, you know, uh, this film kind of ha- hits a lot of tropes, but I'm always kind of curious, like I'm trying to figure like, what do you guys think is the secret sauce that actually makes it sing and work in a way that's not just generic? I have, I have a weird, I have a weird take. And I think it's it's like almost like nitpicky, but I think it does do something. I think the fact that this is a movie set in northern Sweden that is shot in the Carpathian Mountains. Of <laughs> I think like it doesn't actually really look like a Nordic landscape. It looks like a northern Transylvanian landscape. Like it looks bizarre. Like the the wilderness of this movie is very specific. And I think it looks cold and it looks hilly enough that it's like, okay, I'm not going to decry that this just isn't Sweden. But I think like this is a setting of actual shooting location that elevates it just from the go for having a first 40 minutes that really takes place in broad daylight in mountains with reedy trees like that has to be done in a perfect location. Like you can't film this even in the Blair Witch yeah. Woods doesn't make sense for the actual texture of this movie and how you can have that creature eventually move around. Um, so Team Romania for me, I think. Well, you really needed like those. Yeah, you needed like that ancient feeling forest or there's no way that the story works. Yeah, it's a lot of looking at those trees. And I was like, I've never really seen this many trees that look like that in one place. This looks very strange Ro- it- romania boys trip let's go <laughs> yeah yeah the the scene i certainly remember the most in terms of like the trees as a character the setting as a character is when he runs up to the hill and he's like looking to try and find a direction and it's these like really interesting trees that are really thin and tall they're almost just like giant poles and he sees like the hand from the the jotun in the distance the hand is the hand is one of the best shots of the movie. Yeah. yeah, there's the hand and then there's that walking shot where it walks in the background. Yeah. That's yeah, that's the one that I think works so and well it's just, with the type yeah. of tree because it's just like, I mean, I think too the tree works so well just for how much you're looking around and then you see some light or dawn, they're like, Oh, like that must be a clearing and then you just keep running and you're like, No, that wasn't clear. There's just some <laughs> more light over here. The the one thing that really we've talked about this, like the way the the liquor store keeps coming up. And I love how the film like the first the setup of the film. I'm into it. I'm you know, I'm following along. I'm getting into these characters. But for me, once they're in the cabin and there's the, the beginning of that dream sequence where it's thundering outside and then there's that flash and it just sticks. 
I've like never seen that before. And I remember like almost gasping because it took me so it took me so much by surprise where the lightning where you expected to just flash just stays. And then he's like, what? And that almost felt to me was like the turning point where I was like, OK, I'm going to fucking love this movie because I've never seen that before. And then it just keeps getting creepier and creepier. Yeah. From having no idea what it was when that first light was staying there, I was like, <laughs> are we about to get fucking aliens? <laughs> like, like, I'm ready for whatever. Like, I'm signed up because Nick, Jamie and Cody have told me how much they love this movie. But I was not expecting aliens. Honestly, to come that out. would definitely be a movie that I would recommend. So, no, I mean, and, and I, it is a it is a frustrating hiding in plain sight movie that's just kind of like fucking Hill House or whatever, where it's like, oh well, I got to look at the Tumblr of the nineteen times I didn't fucking see the Jotun walking in the background, and it's right there, which is again to the texture of the lenses they're using for those shots and all that kind of stuff. It makes sense, but it's just definitely something that deserves to be unseen for so much of the movie and then once you get what i would call a full reveal is almost generous i think the way that it's shot still obeys that idea of still leaving the mystery of its form enough you know just how interesting it is with a fire blazing behind it and so so it's in silhouette with it just crouching down in that doorway scene which is iconic to me and then eventually as it starts to look you know, Luke right in the face and like you're supposed to have this moment, just the way that it moves and its body develops around as it like sits up and looks up is still just too overwhelming and confusing to comprehend to get like a scale model of what we're looking at. And I think that's one of the benefits of this kind of monster is like when you see a Godzilla, you're just waiting to see the scales and waiting to see, you know, OK, I can fill the the logical gaps and know that this is, you know touch and touch the elephant no it's the elephant kind of thing and this is like a visual riddle of like what kind of sphinx nonsense is this i didn't know this was a thing that existed in culture you know and so much to the benefit of of the end of this movie when it really has to reckon with like okay you're you're dealing with a giant moose with hands yeah and a face you and know, a torso thing how do you make it feel that unsettling and that like attached to an old gods feeling, which I think has a specific, you know, a specific darkness for this kind of a setting too. So I'm a fan. I'll get you guys a little figurine. For your <laughs> yeah, a little sideshow collectible so of the, the Joden. I mean, it really, yeah. they the, the director, David Bruckner, really must have put a lot of faith in what he was going to get from the visual effects team because, I mean, if the, the monster in this is so unique and iconic in a sense that if it had been laughably bad the whole movie would have fallen apart and i mean he is still you know like you said hiding the monster but there's enough of it and it's utilized enough and you know we still get a the scale of it and it that if it looks stupid the whole thing would have fallen apart so yeah i could list like 15 movies easily i won't because i can't <laughs> actually that have this kind of setup where it's very moody and it's very much, did I just see something? Where's that hand going? And then you have the the action finale where there's something that gives our characters agency again. So they burn it up, they burn it up, they blow it up, they get a gun, they get something where they can actually fight back and you see the thing in force and it ruins the movie. And it just becomes like, okay, this is the, you know, Jurassic Park 3 scene in the riverboat <laughs> where you're just like, yeah, yeah. ah, you know, yeah. which... That scene actually slaps, never mind. But, you know, it's uh, it's something where you have to really keep it engaged as a scary movie when it's just a being and then like 
is it going to get killed or not? And this does a fantastic job of never letting go of the the uneasiness because you're never in you never have a visual relationship with what you're seeing that gives you any level of comfort. You're just even when it's standing right over you, then it starts to do a new posture that you're like, <laughs> is this yeah, its yeah. final form? I don't even know. Yeah. You know. So I think that's why it lands pretty well. And I mean, it, it ends pretty quickly after that. And there are some problems there for sure, Nick. But I am definitely a fan of how much it's able to like hit you with a second punch, which is just like, oh, you thought it was just going to be me revealing a, you know, a monster you've seen before. Let me confuse the (laughs) fuck out of you while I have somebody running and screaming. So, yeah, I loved how long I was confused by it. Um, The monster was designed by Keith Thompson, who's a concept artist for Guillermo del Toro. He's worked on Pacific Rim and The Strain and Crimson Peak, which we did earlier in the series. This feels very strain which would have been the end of the strain yeah. run which is the only thing i like about that show is how bonkers everything but when, looks when even up until you know getting almost three quarters away through this film and you have the sacrifice scene and what's the guy's name i'm not gonna remember his name but he sees he sees his wife gail who we'll call him specs 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 sees his wife gail who <laughs> We know Gail. Maybe maybe the the Jotun, Loki's offspring trickster monster has turned into for him to see. And then it cut to the actual shot of the eyes and sort of face and the hands. And I was like, wait, wait, what is going on? I was so lost. And then it like I I just uh... let it happen and then the you know kept moving. We're in the next scene and I'm like, oh, maybe that was a vision maybe and then we get the hooves and then we get the arms coming through the door and i'm like no this everything i think is wrong (laughs) (laughs) i have to reevaluate my life if you had seen you know loki on disney plus Uh, i haven't i have i need to i just finished winter soldier falcon guy he he fucks a a goat inside of an oat tree (laughs) you know here we are i was looking up random facts and that the stone carving that the older woman is praying to after our heroes fall into the house and you get that cool shot of the upside down view is an actual carving of like loki being hung by his entrails that's owned by like the british monarch in a church and that they used a replica of it and i'm like now i'm gonna go down a deep youtube hole of learning the conspiracy of the jotun and the british royals oh damn Well, I would definitely recommend outside of your typical, you know, American gods or reading God of War. I did have a good little session sitting down and reading in one go all of Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology. So this tickled your fancy on some weird stuff. I think the off the beaten path stories told him that, you know, he doesn't need my help, but. I'll throw that out there. Oh, yeah, as a it's good called, supplement it's called the Kirby Stephen Stone, and it's housed in St. Stephen's Church in Kirby Stephen in Britain. And it depicts supposedly Loki bound and chained by his own entrails. All right, let's go steal it. That's our heist movie. <laughs> um, jumping back a little earlier to now we're seeing these hallucination scenes. This, those for me was really what set this apart and really excited me for what's to come. I knew I knew that there was some sort of monster and people were very excited by the design of it. But taking it out of the territory of just guys being, you know, hunted down in the woods, 
to now they're having hallucination and parts of the liquor store and other things are sh- are showing up. And that scene in the cabin was where I was like, oh, we're going to turn this to 100. You've got a guy upstairs naked, unsure why he's praying, a guy who pissed himself, another guy just screaming, Gale, which I'm used to now. but <laughs> Yeah, at the time, <laughs> this- yeah. Would have been wild. I, I love the variety of them each having these crazy experiences, and one guy's like, "I, I, I piss myself." <laughs> yeah, at the first you're like, "Wow, this got heavy," and then you're like, hey, yeah. "What are you doing up there, yeah, pal?" That was, oh my it never, god! It's always creepy when someone is against their will in their dream praying naked to something and being like the chosen one right. for that purpose. Really freaked me out. I think I'm going to put Nick on the spot. Nick, you're Luke in this movie. <laughs> you know, you've you've earned. You've earned your protagonist status. Um, Nick, can you cast this movie? No, no offense will be taken. Us three on this call. Who plays what Ooh. role? So Nick's, Nick is Luke, right? Luke, Luke is Luke. the coward who let his friend die in the right. liquor crate. So there are three roles. There's Specs, Downton Abbey guy, and naked rave dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the, the three definitions the prayer that man. I'm giving. Yeah, um, I'm feeling like Jamie's downtown, downtown Abbey guy. Um, I'll take it. That's a good. Uh, that's my call as well. Yeah, I feel like he pissed himself. <laughs> while he was just I'm a bad water. Yeah. And now this final decision is very difficult. I feel like. Yeah, especially gonna, if we just were just I'm, shitting on Dom. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think Chris and I just just split the role like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. We'd flip we flop. <laughs> Yeah, just just get just like every shot we try it again and we you know, we'll get Pat from our American Werewolf episode to be a naked <laughs> raver. So um there we go. Cody, Take I'm I'm gonna it. cast you as one of the guys in the village cult who is all about the monster Ooh. because I'm pretty sure Oh no, I wanna be the guy who gets shot. I, <laughs> I think that guy has a I think that guy has a as I say, small role puts a lot of butter on it, where you always expect there to be a guy who jumps for the gun. When somebody's pointing a gun at you and trying to reload and shoots and then it it clicks and misfires and then he has to reload, this guy yeah. waits his he's like, turn to okay. be shot. And I'm like, he's like, hey, man. And then click. Hey, man. Bang. You know, just such a respectful individual. I, I really think he deserves more credit. But a small yeah. nitpick in with the villagers is like, I really didn't need the exposition from the one like it's it's a you have such oh, a yeah. crazy awesome monster design that i am gonna immediately google it afterwards the one thing i did like though was the the allusion to giving us the mummies which i think is a forgotten part of this movie it's that cool. really sets off the climax well where like this Jotun gives the villagers eternal life but it's like it's a half awful. life it's kind of yeah. like the hunger it's like yeah it's like the hunger where they like become mummies you're the in dude the in seven yeah <laughs> Rafe Spall just dispassionately people setting those fire. people on fire upstairs is such a good just like snap into <laughs> attention for his character. I mean that shit, that shit was fucked up. I was gonna come out and say it. he that was that was cold blooded. Your your anti cold blooded murder of mummies. I think he gave them a mercy. I saw it as like a mercy killing of like. Yeah. I like how he tries to play off the first one as like almost accidental. <laughs> yeah. He's just kind of moving the torch around oops. like oh oops. <laughs> Did I do that? And then it starts screaming, and he's like, oh, oops, oops, this other one. <laughs> I keep bumping into They're you. so dry. This is kind of brings up a question of, like, what is actually going on? And I kind of read it, like, the Jotun is using people almost as food. It, like, gives them immortality, and they keep, and the prayer and, like, the sacrifice keeps it alive, like, gives it sustenance. 
Yeah. But it's still, it needs a continuous supply. And that's kind of why at the end, it doesn't just kill Rafe Spall's character. It's like forcing him to submit for its own sustenance. And um, for whatever reason, it had pegged him and it's chosen him to be another follower. At least that's how I read it. I don't know. Yeah. Have you guys found out anything yeah, about... Yeah, I think it's like an American guy. Have you guys found out anything about that Mark? I mean, from having just watched it, I was like, oh, is he... He's not marked for death, as I can see. He's marked for life like the rest of them. But is there is there something I'm missing? Is there... I, a- I thought it was like an antler yeah, puncture. Yeah, that's kind of I, I think that was... Like- yeah, where it's just like, oh, you've been poked by the antler. It's just, you know, like, touched by an angel, poked by an antler. <laughs> It's actually a Fist of the North Star reference. Is it really? Like, uh, no. Oh. <laughs> it could have been. It could have been. Deep, yeah, yeah. It's a deep it cut. Been. It's a deep cut. Yeah, I think it's like... Because they all, you know, all you know, the American, townies... It's a Swedish it pentagram, you know? They were probably the ones selected in their respective groups, you know, to be the lo- the final girl that gets to be the one that yeah. feeds them worship food. An interesting take would have been, you know, on the the sequel or wherever it keeps going is that instead of having actual Scandinavian strange people in this town, it's just all one confused hiker from a different party who's who'd been marked and left there. Yeah. And like, I don't know, man, I've been here for two weeks. Like I just bow down. I'm like, Dutch <laughs> and man, am I confused? Like, yeah. I don't know. There's yeah. one. Of- Seems like a very easy um, life. I have to just kind of contextualize a little bit of being like, this Jotun's not up to everything every night. You know, you can't you can't get a sacrifice. It seems like night. the moon the moon Otherwise, has something to do with it. These people probably live a pretty okay life. You know, they're just bopping around. This isn't like Apostle where this town is just bananas all the time. I feel like they probably just put on their ceremonial guard once a month and they're like, hey, you know, they took a hike during the wrong place, wrong yeah, time. Yeah, it's a full you know, moon. Otherwise, seems pretty lazy, you know. They're actually shocked when they get killed by the Yoten. They're like, oh, "Really, me? Okay." Do you think the woman was the woman from the photograph from the that wallet they find, like that old campsite? Oh, oh that's the a one who read. speaks oh, yeah, the one who speaks English mm-hmm. yeah. from like the eighties. Ooh, okay. yeah. I was wondering. I, wait, was that her? Yeah, I'm was sure. Was that her Volkswagen? I think those are probably bits and pieces that are like the most essential parts of this book. That they just kind of sprinkled in because like you need that for a book because you could translate it so much better visually for this. But I'm sure that was like a little nod that I I I, I think that's a good read. I'm giving that my new canon. Your new that's canon, my read yeah. of the movie. And then he has. I was wondering what his like you know his great pain of letting his friend die is like said why he was kind of marked. And so is this just a village of people who have been through so much terrible pain that they have no joy? So the thing's like, I can't sacrifice you. Like, you're you're too fucked. It's like, it's like Split, where they look at her and they're like, oh, you've been abused, so you're a good person. You know, that really, really good movie, you know. Ugh. I feel like it had to have something to do with it, but I'm, I'm having, I always had a hard time deciding like what exactly about the guilt was made him special in a sense other than just guilt if it just needs gets off on guilt from people and like wants yeah or like maybe it thought it was weak and would be submissive or something like and that kind of plays into maybe him standing up for i think that's and that's my to, thing is like the kneeling is the hiding mm-hmm. you know and and the sense of him feeling that about himself is why he's marked and then he ultimately is able to defeat it because he got to dance around its misconception of him and the strength he has in his character. I, know? And that's yeah. 
I may be misremembering, but I thought there was a line about trauma at some point when he gets to the village. Yeah. Where she yeah, there's, she there's says something about like, like you lived like through trauma, and that's why it picked you, and that's why it was attracted to you. There's like a pregnant pause, and then I think she says like what the movie is trying to say is this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they do have one line where it's like, hey, by the way, I just want to, you know. Yeah. This has been a confusing film. I want to make one thing clear. And no, she, yeah, she's like, you I have... Think, I, think, you have, I think that is... Yeah. I don't know. When she's telling him, like, it's the child of Loki, we don't say its name. And then and he's like, what is this? And she's like, well, you must have, like, a darkness in you. Or, or I, I, there's... It's something. It's murky, paranormal. right? Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of vague of what exactly she's like. But it's one of those like, like someone pulled a whiteboard out, like put a giant like stick to it, and like here is the rule. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you happen to I don't know not defend your friend in a liquor store last six months? Oh, yeah. oh that's, that's why. Yeah. It's Are you having oh, hallucinations okay. that have been haunting you this entire time while your friends just like piss themselves or get naked? <laughs> You're the one. Yeah. Yeah, that, that you know, you 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 don't have uh, you know to dance rave. That, that's the thing that I'm always kind of curious about. This movie is like what's just kind of the the hoops and gymnastics of like make it. And this is the same thing for Blair Witch, right? Where it's like the the gleeful, almost like torture of people before sacrificing them, like. They the guys pee themselves, have horrible dreams, have all these things. It's almost like um, perking up their their fear to make them tastier for the trees kind of thing. And that's that's a weird that makes sense for Rafe, you know, on a pragmatic level of like, oh, okay, they're like queuing him up to be at his most deferential. You know, and then for the other guys, it's like, you're going to stab me into a tree tomorrow, regardless. <laughs> you know, I'm scared. Why'd you have to make me dance uh, yeah. naked? I like when the guy is tied up. Fight. He's like, can can we just get this over with? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he has a good character. I, Turn it around. I think it's that, more right? their mental um, state. I think that is part of like what we're I think that is part of what's maybe explaining the Jotun too, like that he that he or she, you know, uh, feeds off of that sense of, you know, like there is some tastiness to the pain kind of like uh you know doctor sleep or something like that i would i would guess that there's also something within north norse mythology and it being a, like a bastard child of loki i feel like from remembering reading mythology as a kid and these types of things where it's like there's so much jealousy and arrogance and and fucking with people yeah and <laughs> and just the idea of like a lot of the bastard kids of gods are always trying to show that they're powerful and so this might be some sort of thing it feeds off of where it's really just an elk in the woods but it's like no 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 i need like these humans who build all these shelters and have all this intelligence to be afraid of me i'll just say i think we recommended this chris for long enough because it's not going to be your favorite movie it's not going to be something that you're going to be screaming from the rafters is you know Competing with Ari Aster for the new definition of horror. I am excited to see his new movie, Nighthouse. But I do think Hereditary does have a better yelling at your fear scene or screaming. But but this was good. It is. But this is something where you just are. I have yet to share this with someone who likes this kind of movie that hasn't been very, very, you know, left very undisappointed by properly appointed about how this movie defies enough convention to really keep it fresh and be something memorable. So fits very squarely on this list. And I think the, you know, the kind of Wiccan 
darkness, you know, slipping between the, the, you know, the thin veneer of connection between this old gods and new and the sense of West meeting old, you know, the old, you know, before Christianity culture that, you know, it, it matches our whole thesis on Halloween and how we connect horror movies to being distinctly this autumnal feeling connection with the old <laughs> spirituality that we've been saying. So that's Sam my one. definite pitch of this as being a, yeah. a Halloween. For me character. on the first watch, this was a ton of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. I had a big smile. I love, I love a good slow creature reveal. This seems like one now where I would like to have a bunch of friends over who hopefully haven't seen it and get like, you know, a bunch of beers and just, watch it and watch people react to this thing because i would have liked to record it me slowly being like wait arms a fate what <laughs> and <Yeah. hooves laughs> and more arms. yeah so thank you guys for constantly yelling at me to watch it yes it was our ritual uh this movie fucking rules on first watch it's scary as fuck it's a new take on the horror in the woods uh, a fresh take on the horror in the woods i may have some issues with the third act but the rest of the movie makes up for the kind of suddenness of the end. And if you haven't seen it, yeah, go watch it. Cause yeah, again, it fucking rules. Thank you very much, Nick, for always recommending and joining us for this one. Yeah, we wish you luck surviving. Yeah, thanks for having me. I will say that tomorrow's pick suffers or succeeds. Very similar to this movie in terms of having a slow build first two acts and an explosive practical effects bonanza of confusion in its third act so look forward to more horrors in the attic more creepy you know wood planks but just beyond the wall there could be a portal to an entire new dimension just like in this so tomorrow's a classic and it's going to be a, a great flavor for halloween to start off our 20s yeah. Look at us. We're flying. Uh, so don't don't get impaled in a tree tonight. Don't, yeah. your don't get pinned Whoa. to any trees. Ooh. So we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you, listeners. Goodbye. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me.